This is the Pulse of New Hampshire. I am J-Dog, and joining me this week on Northeast Delta Dental Radio is a true renaissance man. He was called Mr. Punctual in kindergarten. Also, Steve Ballmer's roommate at Harvard, not to mention, of course, a doting grandfather, a loving husband, a fantastic father, a baseball awards presenter. He is the president and CEO of Northeast Delta Dental and Eddie Popowski's number one fan the CEO and host of Northeast Delta Dental Radio. It's Mr. Tom Raffia. Tom, how are you? Thanks, Jay. And again, you are the best announcer as far as introductions and going to take you everywhere. And you're going to have to add to that intro and intro and people will see the relevance momentarily. Um, there were several years where I did NASTAR skiing every weekend and was somewhat age competitive for an older gentleman. So in any event, but we'll get to that relevant soon. Well, I want to give a super yeah. There you go. Yeah, I want to give a big shout out to my last week's guest, um, Mike Rooney from Pros from Portsmouth Chris Chris Christian Academy. Excuse me. Um, and this show has afforded me such an opportunity to meet, you know, tremendous people ranging from, in that case, uh, Mike, but also. Uh, we, we had Justin McKinney on a few weeks ago, a comedian, but who also raises a lot of funds, you know, for nonprofits. Virtually every nonprofit in New Hampshire that wants to uh, uh, get education out there and fundraising has been on the show, as well as we occasionally get into uh, road racing and wellness. So this weekend's show, uh, today's show as well, Cindy Burlack, who's the chairperson and co-founder of the Brass Avalanche Group, and this really resonated with me because I come from a family that uh, loves loves to ski and the relevance of that will be uh, known shortly. So uh, Cindy, I know that uh, you know you 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 lost a son um, through an avalanche and his his best friend as well. So I thank you for uh, taking that tragedy and really you know using it to to educate and you know and save uh, future lives. I mean, sometimes when these things happen, you know, it's hard to uh, take the next step, but you, you know, obviously did. So thank you from the bottom of my heart, because coming from a, a family that skis a lot and, and, and they ski um, in sort of risk, non-risk averse ways, not me now, I really, really appreciate it. So, so tell us, uh, I know you're an elite skier still uh, from a master's perspective and grew you know grew up and skied in college so tell us about your background and then take your time and and gradually tell us how ultimately you know this this led to brass oh thanks so much tom for having me today i'm um deeply involved with skiing in many levels and i um from the bottom of my heart also i appreciate the publicity that we might be able to get um for encouraging people to get avalanche uh, education before they go out and, and um, enjoy the, the deep powder. I started skiing when I was five years old at Cannon Mountain, where I still live. <clears throat> My parents lived, we all lived in, in outside of Boston, and there was no Route 93, so we really wanted to get there. It was four hours. We had wow. a lot of fights in the car with four kids, but it was all worth it because we got to ski every weekend. And we love uh, Cannon still, right? The blue mm -hmm. ice. Whatever. I, I don't know how many uh, ski races I've seen there. Um, but yeah, Cannon is great. And uh, 
and I'm going to divulge my age uh, starting this winter. I get to ski, ski there free, so I can't wait. But proceed, sorry. That's awesome. Okay. Well, I love I love it that they kept the age at 65 to, for in-staters to be able to enjoy the state-owned ski area. <clears throat> but I also have, over time, I joined the uh, Franconia Ski Club when I was a teenager. None of my siblings did much ski racing, but I enjoyed the challenge and meeting the local other ski, ski racers, and I was the worst at every race, the worst. But in my I don't school, believe that. I don't <laughs> believe that. Well, it was blue ice back then, and there were barely edges on your skis. I, didn't, I had no idea how to sharpen them. But in my on my high school team up in the suburban Boston, I was one of the best. So that balanced out. I was challenging, but, you know, I got some, some uh, recognition, and it just drew me in. So after college, I, I mean, after high school, I did uh, go to Middlebury College and raced Alpine my first year there. Uh, but then the cross country coach got, um, you know, talked to me and I was in an exhibition race there that I was exhibition cross country race because women's cross country was not counted in the NCAA at the time. It was before Title IX. So it was just a, kind of a lark that he got some women out there racing. And he said, I, I, he thought I'd be good. So he threw me into the national training camps wow. with all these like gigantic guys and brutal turn, uh, workouts. So I raced uh, cross country in, the, in Northern New England for one year out of Middlebury and was one of the original racers for, for Nordic at Middlebury. But after that, I raced Alpine and Nordic both my last two years at Middlebury. You know, let's pause for a second on Title IX because I know it just recently had an anniversary. And to think, you know, um, and I, uh, Joan Benoit Samuelson's a good friend of mine, and we've talked about what Title IX meant to her career. And, and to think that uh, cross-country skiing wasn't a women's sport. I mean, that wasn't that long ago. So so mm -hmm. I think we've... Uh, you know we've come we've come a long way. I think I think society inches forward despite all the noise. You know the noise. So and the fact that you did both um, cross country and downhill. I know in New Hampshire, um, uh, the high schoolers who are able to uh, do both of those, they have like a special category at the end of this ski season. So obviously you were um, a terrific athlete. So Thank so you. so continue on because obviously. Um, you, you got your son, Ronnie, interested in skiing and, and take it from there. Mm -hmm. Well, I continue as an adult, I continued to ski race masters for U.S. Ski and Snowboard uh, Organization. And I enjoyed it so much that when my kids were born, I was didn't want to stay at home. And my husband, Steve, was a ski coach. So he was traveling a lot in the winter. So I took the ski, the kids to my my races. And I think Ronnie got addicted to ski racing by just taking him up and win and getting my awards and everybody clapping. <laughs> nice. <laughs> uh, they would go into daycare and then then they uh, as they got older they'd ski all the different areas with me. But I have continued masters racing and I'm the 2022 national champion in my age group overall. Wow. So so, so give us a sense of. Uh... The because I when I'm at when I'm at various mountains over the winter, sometimes I run into a master's race. Give it give give the audience a little sense how that works and how super competitive it is. Well, it's 
a lot of the racers are high level racers from their past, but right. now have children or jobs and only everybody can do it at whatever level they feel capable of. So that's really wonderful. It's a very low pressure environment, but it used to be, you had to be 25 to join, but we lowered the age group, age uh, of entry because we wanted more young people. So now as, as of age 18, one can race masters and they're very well organized races they're under the umbrella of your ski and snowboard and you go into a new age class every five years so as you get older you look forward to getting out of that those fast people's <laughs> age group you know, moving ahead that's funny because uh we do uh, i do a lot of uh local road racing and same thing you get into the age categories however it seems like the ones that continue on are the are the fastest ones so so it never it never That's gets easy right. um, yeah, i'm just curious do the people still tug on the gs suits <laughs> yeah some of them don't look that great in gs suits <laughs> Some of us really stay in shape because we want to look okay in a GS suit. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. But, oh my uh, God. Well, I think, you know, I could, you know, I, I love skiing, uh, e even though I'm more known locally for running, but skiing, there's such a culture gets you through the New Hampshire winter. It's family, you know, family uh, bonding. So I want, I want to, I, I want to get to Brasso because give you an opportunity. So, so fast forward a little bit, you know, R Ronnie, uh, uh, got, got really great at skiing, um, very accomplished, obviously. And, and then what happened? Well, uh, Ronnie was, he's, I started him skiing at age one and a half and he started racing at age four and he just really took to it. He wasn't as accomplished and academic uh, a student as one would have liked and he was very active so ski skiing was really good he loved the camaraderie of the other athletes and uh, he moved up through the ladder um, i really wasn't aware that he was doing comparing well until the j5 states at um and that was a gunstock and he was one of the top 10 in the states in his age group and it was just really uh wonderful to see him recognized and he just gravitated toward it so, so to level set the audience, so in those days it was called J5. So that was what, about uh, 10 or 11 yeah. years ago? Uh, that was uh, six and seven. Six. Okay. So, and then, uh, and then a lot of times in those years, um, the state races were at Gunstock. You know, yeah. I, I remember, I, all I remember is going from the parking lot to the, that lo the lodge where you had to put all the races. I, the first year I did it, um, I noticed all the parents had sleds and I said, why are they doing that? And then I figured out why, because you had to like walk like a half mile with the, with all of your kids skis. Right. So uh, anyway, so uh, I think I really want to get to, uh, to, you know, to brass. So what does brass stand for? And, and then okay. we'll take the whole second half of the show to, you know, to, you know, to educate. So go mm -hmm. ahead. Uh, brass stands for Bryce and Ronnie athlete snow safety we chose the word athlete instead of avalanche because snow safety was already covered uh the snow aspect was already covered in snow safety but the athlete refers to risky racers so it's an organization that is focused on de developing and delivering avalanche education in the ski racing world although we are interested in that education uh also spilling over into the general public Perfect. So Jay, 
I know you're not a skier necessarily, but you know how important this is, right? Absolutely. I mean, New Hampshire is a tourist state and skiing really is the economy, especially in the winter. And uh, yeah, this is good stuff. And we're going to take the break and come back with Cindy Burlack, chairperson and co-founder of Brass Avalanche. Go to brassavalanche.org for more information. We're going to talk about that, the website, when we get back, as well as an award recently that uh, Cindy won alongside Tom Raffio, president and CEO of Northeast Delta Dental. I am J-Dog, and this is the Pulse of New Hampshire. We're back. It's Northeast Delta Dental Radio with Tom Raphael, the president and CEO of Northeast Delta Dental, the host of Northeast Delta Dental Radio. I'm J-Dog, and this week's guest is Cindy Burlack. She is the chairperson and co-founder of Brass Avalanche, brassavalanche.org. Take it away, Tom. This is good stuff. Thank you. And Cindy, I, uh, for those people that are uh, watching today and listening on the 26th, some of you will be listening to this on the 19th and 20th of November, but... Uh, um, I love the, the 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 way Ronnie is carving the turns there. I don't know if that's a GS or Super G, but uh, that's, a, that's a downhill. Downhill, awesome. Actually, actually, a Super G, I think it is. Super G, yeah. Copper. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Terrific. So, so yeah. um, um, why don't you talk first about educating sort of the skiing world on this, and then to Jay's point, sort of the you know, the general population, you know, in general, we're probably not going to, you know, run into an avalanche at Cannon. But nevertheless, if we go skiing in, in Europe, who knows? So let's maybe first talk about your focus sort of on the ski world and then and then and then the general population. OK, yeah, our focus has been the ski racing world um, as as the years have gone by. Most of us involved with, you know, directly, you know, the families have gone over the accident time and time again. Ronnie, our son, and Bryce Astle of Snowbird, Utah, Snowbird and Alto, Utah, were killed on, on January 5th, 2015 in Solden, Austria. And they were with a group of boys who were very enthusiastic about, uh, they were all enthusiastic about having a beautiful day. It had snowed and the uh, training got called off, which is a very unusual situation in ski racing because the coaches are very uh, careful to make good use of the time that they're on the slopes to develop their racing skills. But on that day, there was high avalanche danger, but that was not known by the ski racers or the coaches. So the coaches said, go and get some runs in. We're going to look for a place to train. And on the first run, the boys went to a place right off the lift where they could see a groom trail below them. It was about a thousand feet below them, but they could see. And the three people had already gone down that slope and they started skiing. Two started on the side and they uh, heard a little, you know, rattling of the snow. Ronnie and Bryce uh, weren't aware of it. They started right down the middle and the uh, two other ones that were stayed at the top and they were safe. And the ones on the right that, who um, skiers right were on the edge, they were able to ski out of it, but Ronnie and Bryce were stuck in the middle. And this was just devastating to all of us and the entire ski world that two athletes could, um, you know, have such a dire ending in the middle of a ski race camp, in the middle of a very highly developed ski resort. And so that's where we started Brass. And the website is brassavalanche, all one word, dot org. And uh, sometimes I get this question uh, on my show. So 
Um, I know you could you can uh, you know register for education, but in terms of uh, funding and fundraising, if people go on that website, can they can they help donate? What's the best way we can help um, Brass Avalanche uh, in terms of the funding, in terms of education? What what's the best way we can be helpful? Well, it, that's a wonderful question. Thank you so much for bringing that up. We are developing programming for ski racing and for the general public. It costs money to, to use people's the professional athlete, um, avalanche uh, forecasters' time and travel to go and develop deliver this education and also to, to develop uh, videos. So we do need to have financial support in, in this. Uh, so anything you can donate, large or small, is very welcome. There's a donate button on our website. And also to keep track on the, on the website for the webinars that we're delivering this fall. The first one will be November 2nd. And uh, the next one, November 17th. And then on November 30th also. So you can look I'm definitely going to have my son, Brian Raffio, who... Uh, works at a basin and does a lot of avalanche uh, control you know look look at those you know webinars for sure now um obviously you you've done great work and you were honored um by the u.s ski and snowboard association with the russell wilder award for service to youth and i know i'm familiar with that award and so i know how prestigious that is so was it based on your on your work to you know educate uh, you know, people it looks like, uh, you know, you've been at a lot of schools and so forth. So tell us about the award and what led to that award. Oh, thank, thanks so much. Um, that was, I think, three or four years ago. It was at least during part of the, uh, the pandemic. So there wasn't any major uh, delivery of the award. So, um, but it was, I feel greatly honored to have it. And it was uh, because of my work developing the Brass 101 workshops, which we've been doing in person at that time, and we could only reach the people that we could get to with an avalanche professional, uh, which was usually ski academies, ski clubs, some school groups, and there were a few community uh, events where we would deliver Brass 101 to the general public. Um, but that is the, was, is the, backbone of our program is is these webinars which are they the, the brass 101 has moved to webinars now because of of covid and also because we can reach so many people and it's easier for people who have worked all day and or have homework to tune in for an hour and a half and get a, some very good avalanche education we've added world cup skiers uh interview to the end of them each each uh brass webinar has a world cup skier coming and commenting about their uh their career and their orientation or their experience with avalanches or avalanche safety so that's the the one advantage of covid nobody wanted covid but definitely through the virtual process it's probably extended uh, your 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 audience um and more people are probably attending so thank you for pivoting and um and you know making that happen so um probably you stayed in touch with the haskell family but have other parents of uh, uh younger people that may have also had the similar tragedy have they reached out to you and do you have uh like a support group or how, do, how does that all come together 
Um, it's actually the Astle family. Bryce Astle's Astle, parents yeah. live in uh, Sandy, Utah, right outside of Snowbird and Alta. Um, they, there hasn't been a lot of um, cohesiveness among people who have experienced avalanche um, tragedies or um, close calls, but it's something that I think would be very important that people who are passionate about spreading this education don't have to start a whole foundation on their own. And we would welcome the help of anybody who is, or participate, participation of anybody who's been touched by avalanche tragedies or close calls, or just are interested in, in spreading this, this um, information. And the website again is brassavalanche.org, one word. So um, let's use the last couple of minutes. So, um, can you give us kind of like a, a few bullets on avalanche danger and, and what are the three or four things that uh, you, you had mentioned in the case of, uh, of Bryce and Ronnie, that there was, a, there was a sound or something, but they really didn't know what was going on. So, so what are the, what, if, if nothing, if you were an elevator, what would you just say to someone about avalanche danger? Mm, that's, that's a really good question. Well, Avalanches are hard to become educated in because, uh, and that's one of my uh, major in impetuses in, in uh, this program, is that avalanches just aren't talked about that much, you know, especially in the East. And even in the West, you go skiing in the, re in the resort and you're protected from avalanches inside the boundaries. So if you're not planning to go outside the boundaries, you don't think about it. You don't check the avalanche danger just trust the um, the avalanche warning people. But if you go to Europe, it's a completely different story. And so that's one of the main things is to recognize how what the avalanche mitigation practices are where you are. And um, there, there are websites on every resort, but they don't make it very visible. When you buy the ticket, there's no sign that says avalanche danger today or and where there are not really ropes to go across the way there are in the U.S., so that's one thing that really look out for. But also just attend our webinars. We have, we're basing it on a program that has five safety points. One is get the gear, meaning get the transceiver, the, beak, uh, the shovel and the probe, which makes it possible for you to save other people if, you, if they get buried. Get the training, find out how to use that gear. Look at the forecast. It's all very available online, but you have to know that to look at it and get used to looking at the forecasts because it's kind of like another language. You know, it, before you go someplace, start looking at them and get the picture, which is looking for signs of other uh, other avalanches with cracking and hearing that sound or the sound of the snow letting go. Um, you know, wind, wind um, drifting and strong uh, temperature changes and uh, precipitation, uh, recent precipitation. Those are all red flags for looking for avalanche danger. Do you think, uh, real quick question, um, do you, you think, you know how like there's forest fires, danger, you know, like the levels and the, you, do you see the day where certain resorts would, would put that out like a, the sign that you see when it's uh, been a hot, particularly hot summer and there's fire danger? Do you see that coming? They have those signs, but they're not always visible. Gotcha. In Poland, where the boys died in Austria, it you actually have to know where the sign is and kind of turn around. It's not like right in so, your face. So it still comes down to more and more 
education. So um, we're going to have you back because this this topic, while it seems like you know it's a, a narrow audience, it really isn't because a family could be taking a European trip to skiing or skiing in Colorado. They're you know once a year ski trip, and they could they could run into this. So I think this is a hugely important topic. So it's brassavalanche.org. I don't know about you, Jay, but I learned a lot today, and I'm a skier. So. <laughs> and I'm not a skier, and I learned a lot today as well, Tom. No, this is good. Great. I know Cindy will be back, uh, to, and this only covered a little bit. She's going to cover the exactly. gamut the next time we get her on. Yeah, so we'll, ha we'll have you back, and, uh, and again, I'm so sorry for your mm -hmm. loss of Ronnie and, of course, the Askels with Bryce, and I'm sure it's still difficult. So so thank you, though, for trans transforming it into education. So as you say, anecdotally, you know, many people have already talked to you and that you probably saved some additional life. So, so thanks for your work and we'll have you back again, grassandblatch.org. Jay. Thank you, Tom. And uh, thank you, Cindy, Cindy Burlack, chairperson and co-founder of Brass Avalanche. And Tom mentioned the website, brassavalanche.org. That's a uh, one-stop shop to know what's going on there. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> thank you, Cindy. And for Tom Raffio, president and CEO of Northeast Delta Dental and host of Northeast Delta Dental Radio, I'm Jay Dog. We'll have another edition of Northeast Delta Dental Radio for you next week here on the Pulse of New Hampshire.